On this episode of Twill, we'll find out the answer to the age-old question, will it blend? With Blender 4.0 being released, also the OBS project has released OBS Studio 30. Alma Linux has released a new release with 9.3, which correlates to Red Hat's RHEL 9.3. GNOME is getting funding of 1 million euros. And the Linux Foundation is creating a new software foundation with high-performance software in mind. All of this and more on this week's episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. Blender 4.0 is answering that question, will it blend? And the answer with Blender is absolutely. It's been around for a very long time and it is awesome. So Blender 4.0 is a huge release. We're not gonna be able to cover everything, but we will talk about some highlights. So these are new principled BSDF shading, which means it's more energy conserving, more efficient, more flexible. There's also a new AGX view transform, which provides better color handling in overexposed areas compared to the previous filmic. Also, there's a new Voronoi something. I'm not sure how to say that. A texture node. It takes in detail and roughness, and it also supports fractal noise and it makes it to the point where it has unlimited procedural detail in a single texture, which is really cool. Also, light linking has been added to Blender 4.0, which allows control over which objects can be shadow blockers. Also, geometry nodes can now be ran as regular expressions using node tools, which is an accessible way to expand Blender and customize tools without requiring Python, which is awesome. There's also a path gliding now works on glossy surfaces. Repeat zones are now, which is allowing running nodes in a loop. There's better snapping UI. There's a new type to search feature. There's an upgrade to the add modifier menu. There's streamlined keyboard shortcuts and just much, much more. If you'd like to learn more about Blender with Blender 4.0's release notes, you'll find links in the show notes. The OBS team have announced the latest release of OBS Studio 30. For those who are not familiar, OBS is the open broadcaster software project which makes OBS Studio, which is fantastic for screen capturing and streaming on Twitch and YouTube and all that sort of stuff. It is a fantastic project, and I am currently using right now for recording this episode, as I do with pretty much every episode. <laughs> so this is a very important project for me, but also it could be very important for a lot of people because it can be used in so many different ways. Now, this is not a huge update. It is a pretty big update in some cases, but it's not a huge update. It's, it's more of a quality of, of life improvements update, which is always nice as well. But there is a big new feature in this latest version that is safe mode. Now, this is awesome because if OBS crashes for a plugin or some kind of script that you're running or WebSockets, this could be a really annoying thing previously because if it did happen, every time you open OBS, it would just crash again and you don't know which one is doing it and you can't you know, just activate a couple at a time or turn it off into some kind of safe mode. But now you can because version 30 of OBS introduces a new safe mode, which disables third-party plugins, scripting, and WebSockets, which makes it possible to easily set up a testing mode to see if what the issues are if you do have crashes. And it also automatically prompts for safe mode on crashes. They've also added new WIP and WebRTC output, which is really cool because that offers super low latency benefits. They've also redesigned the title bar, which provides the same information, but in a more organized and well-structured way, 
which is always nice to see. Uh, plus, they've also updated the status bar or status bar, however you want to say it, with a lot more information. And also, they've organized it and redesigned it to make it just look better and you know feel more modern. So that's cool. There's the data that's been there for a while has been there, which very useful. But they've added extra data and they just made it look better. So I like that. Also, with the Linux version of OBS, they've added support for encoding Intel's QSV H.264 and also encoding for HEVC and AV1, which is great because these are very important formats and containers, and they're going to be taking over eventually, especially the AV1, because it is an open source format, and very cool to see that, especially with the encoding part. Also, DeckLink devices now support with 10-bit capture and HDR playback. And there's just a ton of other changes and bug fixes. In fact, the bug fix list is just enormous, which is always great to see because bugs exist in every piece of software and it shows that they're putting an effort to fix them when they find them. Also, there is some issues with the latest version depending on your setup. If you are using Ubuntu 20.04 or older, you're not gonna be able to use OBS 30 because they have dropped support for it. Also, for those who only have access to Qt 5, they've also dropped support for that. And also FFmpeg 4.4 has been dropped as well. We're going to talk about FFmpeg later in the show, which is on 6.1. So if you're still on 4.4, it's a bit out of date. So I get that. The Qt 5 thing might be an issue for some. So if it does affect you, let me know in the comments below. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest OBS Studio with OBS 30, Links in the show notes. Red Hat is back in the news this week, but not about drama, which is, you know, that's nice change of events. <laughs> so Red Hat Enterprise Linux 9.3 has been released. And with that, RHEL is now ready for the Edge. It now supports images for Edge usage with the minimal-raw, Edge-vSphere, and Edge-AMI. Also, Keylime has been rebased to 7.3. And the system role for Keylime is now available, making it easier to configure Keylime. Also, OpenSSH has been upgraded, and there's also been other security updates and dependency upgrades as well. And this is a really good news, but also I wanted to talk about the Alma Linux side of things because Alma Linux 9.3 is now out with the same features. It's not based on RHEL exactly anymore, which is one of the things that I'm very interested to see how this is going to turn out. Usually, Alma Linux would come out with hours later than RHEL. And this is the first time that that didn't happen, but it was still only a few days. So this is the first release of Alma since the transition from building uh, directly on RHEL to be building directly from CentOS Stream instead. So this means the distro is no longer bug-for-bug -bug compatible, which, by the way, terrible terminology one-to-one -one compatible, I guess that's okay, but bug for bug, I don't know who came up with that, but that's just terrible branding of a term because I understand what it means that if there's a if it's exactly the same, I get that, but it's just a weird way to say it. Anyway, so Alma Linux is no longer doing that, which is very interesting because they are now in a situation where they can actually fix bugs that they find on their own and send them upstream, which they already have done, which Red Hat has implemented some of these bug fixes, which is really nice, especially considering not all of the clones are doing the upstream thing, unfortunately. It's, not, it's a very interesting drama-filled realm of Linux, 
And uh, actually, I saw an article from the Register where the writer Liam said something about the naming of the various different clones and derivatives. And I just love the name. It's Relatives. Just, I w- it's awesome. <laughs> so from now on, I'll be talking about Rel or Red Hat and their relatives. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of RHEL 9.3 or Linux 9.3, you'll find links in the show notes. Actually, I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't come up with relatives myself. Still, good job, Liam. Last week, we talked about the latest release of LXQt desktop with LXQt 1.4. And I mentioned that it's not going to be in Lubuntu 23.10 because that 23.10 was already released and there was no way for it to be included on the initial release. That is still true. However, Lubuntu has announced this week, just actually a few hours before recording, that they are now going to backport the LXQt 1.4 into Lubuntu 23.10 and 22.04 LTS. So that is some really cool news. If you want to use the latest and greatest LXQt with the latest Lubuntu, then you totally can. Or if you want to use the latest and greatest LXQt with Lubuntu LTS, you can also do that. Now, it is worth noting that after 2404 is released, which is the next LTS, which will be in April of next year, this PPA will be deleted for 23.10 because after nine months of support, the interim releases no longer get support. So you will need to upgrade to 24.04 when it does come out in April. Also, if you're curious, the developer of Lubuntu, the lead developer, Simon, is joining us for an interview on the next episode of Destination Linux, which is going to be recorded this Sunday. So be sure to check that out. And if you are a patron, you can join us live by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership and becoming a patron. And this is going to be really fun because Simon's going to be joining us for an interview. And we're also getting another interview with someone else, which I'm also excited about. And there's just so much content coming in Destination Linux this next episode, so you don't want to miss that. I'll have a link in the show notes, but you can go to destinationlinux.net to get more information and more content from the podcast. If you want more information about Lubuntu and the latest Backports PPA with LXQt 1.4, you'll find links in the show notes. There's this song that's pretty old. It's called If I Had a Million Dollars or something like that, and it talks about what they would do with a million dollars. And it made me wonder, what would Gnome do with a million euros? Well, we're going to find out because Gnome just got donated by the Sovereign Tech Fund 1 million euros, and they've made a blog post about it and also wrote down what they plan to do with this money. So let's talk about that. So Gnome will be using this 1 million euros to first modernize the platform, improve tooling and accessibility, and support features that are in the public interest. They've laid out a plan and what they, what they intend to do. So here's a brief breakdown of what they're going to be doing. They're going to improve the current state of accessibility of GNOME, design and prototype a new accessibility stack, encrypt user home directories individually, modernize secret storage, increase the range and quality of hardware support, invest in quality assurance and developer experience, expand and broaden free desktop APIs, consolidate and improve platform components, and more. So this is really interesting. The GNOME team getting this is very cool because the Sovereign Tech Fund doing this is just awesome because a million euros goes a long way and I can't wait to see what GNOME is able to do with it. So very, very cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of this donation because that's 
that you can spend a lot of money on developers with that amount to, to accomplish many goals. And I can't wait to see what happens. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and LinStore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Limbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The Linux Foundation has announced this week that they are creating a new foundation for high-performance software to help advance an open-source core software stack for high-performance computing, or HPC. The High Performance Software Foundation, or HPSF, already consists of members like Intel, NVIDIA, uh, Amazon Web Services, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, the University of Oregon, and many, many more. The HPSF will be working on many different open source projects, such as SPAC, the HPC Package Manager, interesting name, Trillinos, a collection of reusable scientific software libraries, fun name, I like that, Apptainer, a container system in image format, specifically designed for secure high-performance computing, and also much more. The express goals of the HPSF are serve as a neutral home for key projects in the high-performance software ecosystem, promote use of the HPSF projects in many open-source communities and organizations, provide a transparent governance model that allows stakeholders for, from government, industry, and academia to steward the ecosystems together, they provide a clear path to incubate and onboard promising new projects, Ensure that HPC software is accessible and reliable by providing CI and turnkey builds. Ensure that HPC software is secure and ready for cloud through collaborations with CNCF and the OpenSSF. And sponsor events and training to grow a diverse, skilled workforce for software in the HPSF ecosystem. This is really interesting news. And I'm glad to see the Linux Foundation doing this sort of thing because high-performance computing having all of these different members working together is, you know, always great. Collaboration and open source, this is what Linux is all about. So this is fantastic news. If you'd like to learn more about this, you'll find links in the show notes. There have been reports this week that Amazon is working on a new Linux-based OS to replace Android in some devices. It's under the development codename Vega. So it could be an Android competitor with hundreds of devs from the Amazon device OS team, and apparently it's been in the works for multiple years internally. The OS development is already done, and they are now working on an SDK, as the reports have said. 
Apps are to be developed in React Native, and it's designed for Fire TVs, smart displays, in-car entertainment systems, and other IoT products. Now, it may also be already shipping in some Echo Show devices, but we don't know for sure. We just know that there's an unnamed OS with a 1.1 version rather than the previous version of Fire OS, which was 6.5.6 and etc. So this could be a secret base change from Android to this new Vega OS, but actually I don't even know if it's what it's called. They don't, it's still in rumor right now. But it does seem like a lot of information for rumor, so... This is not new for Amazon to make a Linux-based distribution. They currently have the Amazon Linux distro, which is built for the cloud and Amazon Web Services, and that's based on Fedora. There's, it's very interesting, System 2, and we've talked about it on previous episode of Twill, and I'll put that in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about Amazon Linux and what the differences are between the previous Amazon Linux and the current Amazon Linux 2, because it is a very different, completely rebased system onto Fedora, it's very interesting, but it has nothing to do with this. So maybe Amazon is making a whole other thing to replace Android for their Fire devices, and that would be interesting to see what happens there. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. FFmpeg 6.1 has been released, and for those who are unfamiliar, FFmpeg is a complete cross-platform solution to record, convert, stream audio and video, and all sorts of stuff. FFmpeg is very powerful, and it's used in a lot of things, such as Chromium-based browsers, Blender, Kdenlive, DaVinci Resolve, apparently, MPV, VLC, and much, much more. FFmpeg is a very powerful project, and it is everywhere at this point. So it's basically one of those critical components when it comes to media on Linux. And there's a lot of new features for this 6.1. First of all, there is multi-threaded hardware-accelerated decoding through Vulkan, which supports H.264, HEVC, and AV1. VAAPI AV1 encoder has been added. Also, HEVC, VP9, and AV1 codecs are enhanced with FLV and RTMP formats. Also, decoders and demuxers for Playdate and OSQ. There's also uh, muxers and demuxers for essential video coding and RAW AC4. There's also several new filters, including the ARLS filter, zone plate video source filter, and many, many more. These are just some of the features, and the list of features is huge. So if you'd like to learn more about this news with the latest release of FFmpeg 6.1, you'll find links in the show notes. About a month ago, Fedora announced the new Fedora Slimbook, which was a very powerful and big laptop with a 16-inch screen. Now, some people didn't like the 16-inch part and were hoping for a smaller version. And well, now Fedora has announced a 14-inch version of the laptop, which may address some of the issues that people have had. It's smaller and lighter, for example. Its weight is only 1.25 kilograms versus the 1.5 kilograms of the Slimbook 16. It features an Intel i7-12700H. What a wonderful name of a product model name. A uh, 99 watt hour battery with all day lo long battery life. Also a 90 hertz 2880 by 1800 screen with 99% rating sRGB color accuracy. Now in this difference between the 16 and the 14, the 16 comes with a GPU and the 14 does not come with the NVIDIA GPU, which may be a downside if you need GPU power for whatever you're doing. So just keep that in mind. This new laptop starts at 1299 euros with 16 gigs of RAM and 512 gig NVMe SSD. 
It also contains a Fedora branding, including a branded super key, which is always nice to see. And just like the previous Fedora Slim book, 3% of the revenue will be going to a donation for the Gnome Foundation. I would prefer that to be on other than just one. I mean, I, it's good to be on Gnome. I just think it'd be better to be on Gnome and others, not just one third-party foundation. Uh, just that my opinion. But also, just there's a discount going on right now for the launch of Fedora 39, so you can save 100 euros if you choose to buy one of these. Also, if you're a contributor to Fedora, you can get another 100 euro discount if you're doing that. So maybe you could combine the two, and who knows? Or if you're not a contributor to Fedora, well, maybe you could start doing that and get a discount. So there's an incentive for both. If you'd like to learn more, or if you want to check it out yourself, you can find more information about the new Fedora Slimbook 14-inch in the show notes. While we're on the subject of hardware, Tuxedo has released their Pulse 14 refresh lineup. The Pulse 14 is an ultra-portable laptop. This new refresh features Ryzen 7 7840HS, which is another fantastic model name. Obviously, I'm sarcastic about that. Radeon 780M integrated graphics. It has 60-watt-hour battery with up to 11 hours of battery life. The default OS is their own Tuxedo OS, which apparently is based on Kubuntu LTS. But you can also choose from uh, normal Ubuntu, Ubuntu Budgie, and Windows 11 for some reason if you want to. It also allows for encrypted Linux installs. It has a 120 hertz 2880 by 1800 display with 100% SRB, sRGB coverage. And it starts at 1,111 1, euros with 32 gigs of RAM and 500 gigs of NVMe storage. So that's 1111 euros for the starting price. If you want to learn more about the Tuxedo's latest re refresh of the Pulse 14, you'll find links in the show notes. Recently, we saw a new release of BleachBit, which is the first release in two years with BleachBit 4.6.0. For those who are not familiar, BleachBit is a cross-platform cleaning tool good for freeing up disk space and removing all the clutter of temporary files and logs and things like that you may not need. So this latest release of BleachBit 4.6.0 uh, can now clean recently closed tabs in Firefox, clean autofill data in Chromium-based browsers, fixes uh, DLL vulnerabilities for those who are using Windows, supports newer versions of GIMP with runtime detection, has some Linux-specific features such as can now clean Edge on Linux, supports flat packs of Firefox, Chrome, and Thunderbird. It cleans the snap of Firefox, cleans the recent documents on KDE 5.x, adds a shred, text, or shred context menu in KDE, notifies you when running as root on Wayland, can now fix icons and application launchers, and so, so many more things. So if you'd like to check out BleachBit for yourself with the latest release of 4.6.0, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on Twill and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing right now at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Good News. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time...
I bid you farewell.